So we're starting a brand new message series called The CGI Life. And I know you're familiar with this technology. CGI stands for Computer Generated Imaging. And I know you're familiar with this. They use it in the movies. Uh, It first started showing up, you know, around the early 1990s through uh, movies like Toy Story. They they use the technology to introduce us to Buzz Lightyear and to Woody. and, and, And man, it just took you know, animation to a whole other level. Uh, Really and truly, the technology was around before even Pixar and the Toy Story movies. It actually started uh, with a Christian resource for children. How many of you remember Veggie Tales? Can y'all remember Veggie? Are you kidding me? Bob the Tomato and Larry the Cucumber, if you like to talk to tomatoes. Come on, man. You can't tell me nothing if you never saw a Veggie Tale. What you gonna tell me? Um, VeggieTales was awesome. So again, it took, you know, animation to a whole other level when they introduced this technology, CGI, and we enjoyed it. We enjoyed the cartoons. We enjoyed it so much. And then it kind of started getting weird because they realized that they could actually use the technology to put something on the screen, screen that looked real, even though it wasn't. So a great example would have been Aslan, the, the lion of the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe movie. And wow, here's this lion that looks real, but he's talking to kids. And um, it just kind of got creepy. It kind of got weird. And it's just continued to do that more and more and to the point where even though Princess Leia's been dead for a couple of years now, she's, she's still making movies. Does that creep you out? I mean, it just, it just weirds me out when she's showing up on, you know, new movies. And I'm like, what's next? Man, Michael Jackson's going to put out a new album. I don't know. But, um, but CGI, we all know what that stands for. Again, computer generated imagery. We all understand that the technology allows us to make something look real that is not, but as Christians, that's really not anything new to us, is it? Because if we're going to be honest today, if we're going to be honest, Christians have been generating image for centuries, generating images that we want people to believe, images that tell people we're one thing when in fact we are not. In fact, we are something altogether different. And hey, that's very scary. That's very frightening. And uh, the Bible actually has a lot to say about that kind of uh, hypocrisy and what what I want to talk to you about today is, is the danger of not just telling a lie, but actually beginning to live a lie. We, we come to a point where our whole life becomes a lie. We project this image of what we want people to believe that we are. And listen, you might even have people fooled. You may be able to fool the folks here and the folks there and the folks over here and the folks back here, but what we forget is there's one this direction that you're never going to fool. And he has a lot to say about this projected image that we so often want to use to fool everybody and making them believe that we're something that we are not. And there's tons of scripture that I could point to, but I want to use one passage from the book of Acts there in the New Testament. Uh, and uh, I want to um, use it as an example to just help us understand how dangerous it is, it is when we're living as, uh, as professing Christ followers a CGI life, a compromise-generated image. 
is a dangerous thing. Now, I'm going to use the story of a couple there from the first century church. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira. How many are thankful your mama didn't name you Sapphira? Come on. And, um, and their story uh, falls here in Acts chapter 5. Let me set the stage for the reading. Um, Revival is taking place in first century Jerusalem. Thousands of people are becoming followers of Jesus left and right. And, and it's amazing. And God's moving uh, on his church, on that first century church. And, and real revival is taking place. You know revival's happening when people are giving without having to be asked, right? Uh, they're just giving and nobody's even asked them to give. What they're doing is they're actually selling possessions and property. And they're taking the money, laying it at the apostles' feet because they want the apostles to be able to take this message to the ends of the earth. And it's just an incredible thing. And in the mix of all of that, in the mix of all of that, we find the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Starting in chapter five and verse one, the Bible said there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. And he brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. And then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell dead to the floor. He fell to the floor and he died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. I guess they were. (laughs) And then some young men got up and they wrapped him in a sheet and they took him out and they buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, was this the price that you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. And instantly she fell dead to the floor. She fell to the floor and died. And when the young men came in, And saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Verse 11, probably the most understated verse of all the Bible. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. I guess so. I guess it did. I'm always tempted when I read this passage of scripture in church to go ahead and take an offering right here, right now. But I'm not going to do that. We've already taken two, so I'm not going to do that. But I am going to point to the realities that this story really, really address within so many of our lives. Because ours is a CGI life. We are allowing our compromise to generate the image that we want people to think we're something when indeed we're something altogether different. And what I wanna say to you today with this message is that the CGI life is a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie to ourselves, it's a lie to God, and it's a lie to others. The question that Peter asked Ananias and Sapphira is a question that we would do well to fully embrace in this setting this morning. And for those of you that are online, we welcome you. We're so glad that you're joining us online. It's a question you need to fully embrace with your whole heart as well. In verse four, Peter said, how could you do such a thing like this? You're not lying to men 
You're not lying to us. He said, you're lying to God. Here's what I need you to understand. Jesus Christ personifies truth. Everybody say truth. Jesus personifies truth. Here's his claim, not the church's claim about him, not my claim about him. Here's the claim that Jesus made in John 14 and verse six. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Notice, Jesus didn't say he was a way among many. He didn't say he was a truth. That's the way we like to think about truth in this fallen 21st century world that we live in. We like to think of truth as being subjective. We think that your truth may not necessarily be my truth. I just need to be, I need to be uh, committed to my own truth and you're gonna be committed to your own truth. And in reality, my truth or your truth doesn't matter. What matters is the truth and the truth is Jesus. And that's what we've gotta align ourselves with because Jesus personifies truth. On the contrary, here's what he said about Satan. In John's gospel, chapter eight and verse 44, Jesus is confronting Pharisees, religious leaders that are leading a, a CGI existence. And he said, you are children of your father, the devil. When he lies, when the devil lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of liars. Here's what I'm telling you today. Today, you need to understand the CGI life is satanic in nature. It's satanic in nature. And when we embrace it and we're willing to live a life of pretense, pretending to be something that we're not, what we're actually doing is we're linking arms with the devil himself. And Satan is a deceiver. Everyone today living a CGI life, claiming to be something they're not, just worrying about making sure they've got everybody else's fooled and to thinking that they're what they're not. And yet, completely ignoring the reality that God knows all and God sees all. And you may feel, fool them, but you can't fool him. Can't fool him. Everyone living that kind of CGI life has been deceived by Satan. They've been deceived. He's a deceiver. That's what he specializes in. I have a, a friend, a young man that came to our leadership college that we led uh, when we were on staff at a great church in the Atlanta Metro years ago. Uh, that college, much like our Crossroads Leadership College, was really committed to a couple of things. Number one, helping young men and women who were called into ministry prepare for the ministry, but also it was a discipleship school where we really helped them to lay a foundation of discipleship that would really be the foundation that their faith stood on for a lifetime. That's, that's what we did. This young man came to us because he was extremely interested in God remolding, remaking him into what God wanted him to be. You see, even even though he had been raised in church and even though he had been raised in a pastor's home, he'd been raised in a lot of dysfunction and his was a CGI existence. He, he had never really gotten real with God. He pretended to be something that he wasn't and he fooled a lot of people, but he knew he wasn't fooling God. And so he came to Atlanta and he said, I want you to disciple me. I want you to help me to get past who I've been all these years and really become who God wants me to be. Well, uh, we started doing that. We started pouring into his life and he was so intentional about that that I started noticing something that really got my attention. Sean, his name was Sean. Sean would be in a conversation with a group of us and we'd be talking about this or that. And in mid-conversation, he would start to tell us something about 
his younger days, uh, uh, an incident that had happened to him or a story about someone that he met or something like that. And, and he would stop mid-sentence and he would lower his head and tears would well up in his eyes and he would say, I'm sorry, y'all, that's not even true. That's a lie. And he would walk away. And man, I'm telling you, I got my attention quick. And so I, I sat down with him personally, one-on-one, individually. I said, Sean, what's going on? He said, Pastor Jeff, he said, you just need to know that I lived a life that was a lie for so long. I can't even remember what was real and what was just something I made up. But he said, I've gotten so intentional about being the man that God wants me to be that if I catch myself telling something that I've always told that I really just made up, he said, when the Holy Spirit checks me, I've committed to God, I'm gonna call myself out on the spot because I don't wanna be that person anymore. I don't wanna live a lie. Would to God that everybody in this room would do that today. Would to God that everybody watching us online would make a commitment to truth that says, I refuse to live a lie. I refuse to live a life of pretense and pretend to be something that I'm not. So important that we make that kind of commitment. And here's why. Listen to what I'm about to say to you. God cannot bless what we pretend to be. I want you to wrap your heart around that message this morning. God can't bless what you pretend to be. The only thing that God can, can really bless in your life is what you get real with God over. He cannot bless what you pretend to be. When I, when I think about that statement, I think about the life of, of Jacob. And maybe you're familiar with Jacob's story there in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. He was born as a twin, twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn, but Jacob was named heel grabber. You wanna know why? Because when Esau came out of the womb first, Jacob was right behind him and actually had his brother by the heel. And he began to live a heel grabbing life for the rest of his life on into adulthood. He lived a CGI life. He, he projected an image that he wanted people to believe that wasn't true, that wasn't genuine, that wasn't real. So much so that he decided to actually steal his older brother's blessing or his birthright. In those days, under the Jewish traditions, the firstborn would receive a birthright inheritance or a blessing, and Jacob decided he wanted it. And so you know what he did? Let me tell you a couple of things about the boys that, 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 that's uh, pertinent to the story. Jacob liked to hang inside the house with his mom and the lady folks taking care of the house. While Esau was an outdoorsman, he was a man's man, Jacob was smooth-skinned where Esau was a very hairy individual. So their father Isaac is older now. His, he's lost his eyesight. He's, he's in his dying days. And Jacob decides he's going to steal the birthright or the inheritance. And so here's what he does. Esau's away on a hunting trip. He plans to bring back wild game to cook a wild game dish for his father because his father loved that. And this is kind of his parting gesture towards his dying father. Jacob realizes it's going on and says, this is my chance. He takes animal skins and he wraps his arms in them. He, he prepares a dish and he brings it into his father. His father can't see, so Isaac says something along these lines. The voice is Jacob, but the arms feel like Esau. Are you sure you're Esau and not Jacob? And Jacob lied and said, no, I'm Esau. 
And Isaac gave Jacob Esau's blessing or his birthright inheritance. Now, Jacob realizes he's gonna be in trouble and his brother's gonna be angry. And so he runs and they're apart for years and years and years they live apart. And finally, Jacob wants to come home and wants to bring his new family home. And so he makes the journey back towards Israel. And as he's journeying there, the night before he'll meet up with Esau, he starts praying because he knows he's in trouble. And there is a a kind of a pre-New Testament incarnate visit. That's the way I see it. Uh, The Bible will read the angel of the Lord, but it very well could have been a pre-incarnate visit from Jesus, the second person of the Trinity there, that meets with Jacob as he calls on him. And they begin to wrestle. And Jacob's in a wrestling match with God. And he tells God this. Years after he so-called secured the blessing, he says to God, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Until you bless me. What does that tell you and I? It tells us that if you put a CGI life in place to try to secure a blessing where other people think you're something that you're really not, years later, you're still gonna be wrestling with God looking for a blessing that you never secured through your hypocrisy. Don't live your whole life trying to wrestle a blessing out of God when God's ready to bless you right now if you just get honest with him. If you would just take off your mask, lay down your pretense, say, God, here's who I am. Here's who I want you to make me. God will bless you. Now, I want to step away from this idea of living a CGI life to kind of show you the other side of the coin. Because where many live a a CGI life, a a compromise-generated image by pretending to be something they're not, Others, for them, the issue isn't so much sin they're trying to hide from an all-seeing God, which is just crazy, right? For them, it's just simply not being true to who God created them to be. They want to try to be everyone else. They want to try to preach like somebody else or sing like somebody else or lead like somebody else or be like somebody else. And they're completely discontent with who they are. The CGI life demonstrates discontentment with who God has made us. And it's a slap in the face of our creator. Listen to Romans chapter nine, verse 20. Who are you? The Bible said a mere human to argue with God. Some of y'all were just doing that earlier today. Who are you to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? Doesn't that ring with discontentment? Why have you created me like this? Many of you, and those of you watching online, you've asked that question a million times. God, why have you made me like this? Because the devil has convinced you, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not talented enough. And I'm here today to tell you the devil is a liar. That God created you with incredible gifting. That God created you and he loves you. Just the way you are, he loves you. He cherishes you. He wants to help you to make good on everything that he hardwired within you so that you can be everything he called you to be in Christ. Come on, somebody say, in Christ. In Christ, you're more than enough. In Christ, you're more than smart enough. You're more than good enough. You're uh, more than talented enough. In Christ, embrace who he created you. 
This doesn't mean we don't strive to be more Christ-like. You know what it means? It means the most Christ-like thing we can do is recognize our divine uniqueness and refuse to insult our designer by attempting to be someone other than who God made us. Be who you are and let Christ's likeness be funneled through the unique giftings that God has given you. Listen to Psalm chapter 139. Hey, do y'all believe the Bible's inspired? We believe that, right? We believe that the, the Bible is the inspired word of God. Well, listen to the inspired word of God in Psalm 139, starting verse 14. The psalmist said, I will praise you, O God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When's the last time you looked at yourself in the mirror and reminded yourself of that? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Somebody say, thank God. Marvelous are your works, the psalmist writes. And I know this very well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All my days were written in your book and ordained for me before one of them came to be. God had a plan for you. God had a plan for you. Why you're just the way you are with your gifts, your personality type. He made you exactly like that and he longs to use you to the glory of God. And, and, and I, I want us to look at both sides of this coin today. And as we do, here's what I'll remind us of all. I want to remind all of us of, of this truth. Being real is just as important as being right. Can I say that one more time? Being real is just as important as being right. As Christ followers, you know, as religious people, we're always about what's right, you know? I mean, I, I wanna know what's right, you know, I, I wanna make sure I'm, I'm doing right, and hey, that's noble, that's wonderful. That, that, so should we be interested in, in knowing what's right and committing ourselves to it. The, the problem is we commit to what's right, but we don't commit to being real, and being real is just as important as being right. If you don't believe me, study the life of Judas. You know, the one who betrayed Jesus into the hands of his enemies? There's a, a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 26 that talks about Jesus um, going to a dinner party that was held in his honor. And all the disciples were there, religious leaders were there, and they were sitting down together. And a woman comes walking in with a very costly alabaster jar of perfume. Most scholars agree that the value of that perfume was probably worth more than everything she would ever earn in a lifetime. It's, it's probably a family heirloom that's been passed down generation to generation. So it has sentimental value, not just monetary value. And you know what she does with it? She breaks it open and she pours it over the head of Jesus. And the disciples get bent out of shape. One disciple in particular, Judas Iscariot, says, this perfume could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor. And you know what? Judas was right. He was right. That money could have been used to help the poor. And Jesus was all about helping the poor. The Bible said, when you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord. Certainly we all understand the gospel, pure and undefiled, is to take care of widows and orphans in their distress. God wants us reaching out to those less fortunate than ourselves. Don't, do you believe it? It, it, it's right. Judas was right, but Judas wasn't real. If you're familiar with his story, you know the Bible goes on to reveal he had been stealing from the treasury all along. He was robbing 
from Jesus since day one. He was right, but he wasn't real. Church, listen to me. It's not enough just to get it right. It's not enough just to crow about it on Facebook that we've got it right. We also have got to get real. What the church needs right now more than anything else is to get real with God and get real with ourselves. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 15, verse eight and nine, about Pharisees, religious leaders, leading a CGI life. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. Phariseeism is alive and well in the church today. Well, Jeff, what is Phariseeism? I'm so glad you asked me that question. I wanted a chance to explain it. Phariseeism is performing to create an image for men instead of conforming to the image of Christ. God's called you to conform, not to perform. And yet so much of us, our life is marked by our performance and our pretense when God's just simply asking you to conform to the image of his son. In fact, Romans 8, 29 said, that's your calling. Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So how do we do away with the CGI life? If you are living a compromise-generated identity, how can you do away with it? Number one, get honest with yourself. Start with the man looking at you in the mirror and get honest with yourself. Proverbs 12, said, lips that lie are disgusting to the Lord, but honest people are his delight. Can we right now make a commitment to ourselves and to our God that we are going to delight God, not disgust God by living a life that is sincere, that is honest, that is truthful. Let's get truthful with ourselves, number two. Get honest with yourself, and then number two, get honest with God. Get honest with God. How many realize he already knows what you're doing? <laughs> He's very aware of the things you're trying to hide from him. First John chapter one, verse nine said, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Somebody ought to be praising God right now for that promise. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our wickedness if, 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 if we get honest with him. Get honest with ourselves, get honest with God. Number three, get honest with others. Everybody doesn't need to know your business, but somebody does. Someone you can get real with, someone you can take the mask off with and say, here's who I really am. Everybody thinks I'm this, but here's who I really am. And that person can begin to pray with you and challenge you and hold you accountable. We need to get real with one another. The Bible said in James 5 or 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Number four, how do we do away with the CGI life? Get real with yourself, get real with God, get real with others. And then number four, give God something to bless. Give him something to bless. Stop right now and ask yourself, what am I giving God that he can truthfully bless knowing that all he can bless is our honesty and our humility? In fact, Luke chapter 18, here's what Jesus says. He tells a story about those who had great confidence in their own righteousness and who scorned everyone else. Verse 10, Jesus tells this story. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. 
The other was a despised tax collector, and it didn't get lower in the estimation of the Jews than the tax collector. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, oh God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What God's looking from all of us for is the humility that, that pulls the mask off and gets real with ourself, gets real with God, and gets real with someone who can hold us accountable. God can bless that. Are you giving God something he can bless? And number five, lastly, let contentment generate your image. I believe God wants us to live a CGI life. It's just not a compromise-generated life. I believe the life that God wants us leading is a contentment-generated image. It's a contentment generated image. Can I tell you the people I'm most impressed with? They're the people that don't put on the fanfare. They're, they're the people that don't put on any kind of pretense. They're not out to impress people. They're just honest about who they are. They're honest about their love for God and they're allowing God to work on them and bring them a little bit closer to the image of Jesus every day. Those are the people that really impress me. Those are the people that I really admire. First Timothy chapter six and verse six said, of course, godliness with contentment is great gain. It is to your advantage to fully embrace the contentment of who you are in Christ. That starts with our failings. It starts with our struggles. It starts with our inconsistencies, but it moves on into the uniqueness of, of how God has created us as we embrace that and we say, in Christ, Lord, I'm gonna let you make me everything you've called me to be. It's there that we find great gain. And a, I believe that a contentment-generated image looks like this. An appreciation for who God's created you to be combined with a humility that recognizes our need for God's grace leading to a contentment that is absolutely priceless. And yet it's exactly what God will do for anyone like that tax collector that will stand and say, here's who I am, here's, I, here's who I want you to help me to be to the glory of God.